So we have Bob Ryan from the Boston Globe. Nice enough to call in. Bob, thank you so much for calling. How are you today? Pretty good, guys. And we'll start things off. The NBA regular season started last Tuesday, and part of the reason why we wanted to have you on is we wanted to ask you, how much has changed from your experiences covering this the Celtics throughout the 1970s where writers held a much closer relationship with the players and the coaches? Drastically changed. It's... Um it's almost a different, entirely uh, different experience. The players, the people today, the, the writers today, uh, cannot begin to comprehend how much more fun it was, how much easier it was, how much more enjoyable it was, how much uh, the access was better. Uh, you know, you can enjoy the game. When they throw the ball up, fine. You know, the game, assuming, of course, you can see it, which, of course, is part of the problem that we're addressing here because they don't, you no longer have a good courtside seat. Uh, some five-year-old kid's eating ice cream in the seat you're supposed to have. And all these are part of the problems that uh, go into coverage today. So, yeah, it's, 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 in, it's not even the same species, very different. And how much time would you, would you spend with the team, and how were you able to d- develop such a relationship? Where, do you have better access? Could, could you talk about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah well, you know, you went, to, you went to the locker room before practice. You watched the entire practice, which are all closed today. Uh, you had uh, time to spend around, talk to people afterwards. You develop personal relationships. They knew you could... That, that you uh, could be trusted. They knew uh, you knew what was reportable and not reportable, or what was reportable, uh, something that you can't use today, but you can use uh, in six weeks after the dust settles and you can protect the source. Uh, so all that. Plus, uh, I learned all the plays, which nobody knows today because they're not at practice. They wouldn't know one play, let alone all the plays. It's not, I mean, it's not make me better than these people. It makes me luckier than these people. See, that's the whole thing. Um, it just... And, of course, to travel, we travel with them. Now we don't travel. People don't travel together. Uh, it's charter flights. Uh, the writers travel on their own. Uh, they don't interact socially with the players. We interact socially on a daily basis uh, continually for years. So you can imagine. Just think about it, how much different it is. And, and, Bob, I actually wanted to ask a little bit about that. Going off of what you just said, I mean, it's been said that you even would go out to dinner with the Celtics, teams when, uh, Celtics team when you were a beat writer for them. Did you even? Did you really have to make a, a a big push? Do something unique from other sports columnists, or just was that sort no, of? Well, no, well, no, no. It's just the way it was. With if you would, you know, if you fit in, and and they were you were part of the deal in their eyes. They weren't. They didn't know any better. They didn't know any worse. They took you for granted that you were part of the deal. Um, you know, if if you got along, which I did, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was that way. And now a lot of this is easier. And let me even stress, I covered. Winning teams, and I think uh, it goes stands to reason. Winning teams are happier teams, <laughs> and um, seriously, and people in a better frame of mind or less reason and opportunity to write negative stuff. You had to step up to the plate when the time when things presented themselves, but you could still write. You know, if they have a bad game, you can go out and you know say he had a bad game because they knew that when he had a good game, you'd get the proper praise. The other thing that's important is knowing the difference not only between good and bad, but good and great. Overpraising is stupid so that when you finally, you know, you have to know how to calibrate all this stuff. All this stuff is, takes time to uh, unfold and to simmer and develop, uh, but and I had plenty of time to do that. Uh, today, it's, I mean, it's just different. First of all, they don't read the paper. They don't care anyway because uh, it's not papers. You know, they don't look different than any other member of Generation X or Millenniums and that, you know, their, their frame of reference is television and something they can hold in their hand. It's certainly not reading the newspaper. 
And, and you actually did talk about a little bit, you know, it was it was easy, it was good to take the praise when you came out with an article that was, you know, beneficial towards the Celtics organization <laughs> or praising them. Uh, how, how difficult, I guess, was it to receive the opposite then? You know, when they had a bad game, you can't just go continue praising them if they made mistakes on the right, court. Right, of course so. not. Well, if you're dealing with mature enough individuals, they understand that, and they would say to you, you know, hey, I stink, I stink, and they would say those things. And there's still plenty of people around like that. You heard Peyton Manning yesterday, right? Or, yeah. Well, yeah, no. I mean, that's so, you know, I stunk. Stunk, stunk, stunk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. And, you know, well, he didn't, yeah. he didn't stink. He wasn't up to his lofty standards, you know, but, but he said it because he believed it and meant it, and he knew, and, and he's savvy. He knows, you know, one lesson that players, they don't, if they all learned it, it would be great, but they don't all learn it. And they, never, they never learned it 50 years ago or 40 or 30 or 20, some of them, and some of them won't learn it today. I said, how much easy, how easy it is to say I, I erred, I was bad, I was wrong. Develop instant sympathy from the press. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just so much easier. Show up, say I, I was, I had a bad day. Say I wish I hadn't. Do what Manning did. Say that that interception was a bad, bad, bad uh, foot pass. Well, it was. We all saw it. We know. We didn't see Nikovic. He threw a bad pass. Say it. It's so much easier. But some of these guys, they hide. They hide, and, and, you know, and then things just go from bad to worse. Mm-hmm. We're here with Bob Ryan of the Boston Globe. Bob, can you describe the cultural significance and the impact of the Boston Globe sports section in your time with the publication? I don't want to overstate it because I, we were really good. Now, were we the best? No, I don't know. I don't think anybody was better, but I can tell you there were people who were damn close, such as the Washington Post, the Dallas uh, Morning News, the Philadelphia Daily News. Oh, boy, go look up and see who wrote for them. They were, they were, the, they were the sleeper in the whole mix. Um, and there were, so there were papers that were very good. Were we, but I don't think anybody was better than us, but, but it might have been a four-way tie for first. But, yeah, we had some great people, and, and we had great backing. It was in writer's paper, not an editor's paper. There's a huge difference in what, and, and the implications there. And Freedom granted the writers have a point of view and write from that stance. Here's how good we were, though, so I'll see if anybody else can match this. Uh, at one point in the mid-'80s, we had on the major, four major team beats, baseball, basketball, football, and hockey, Peter Gammons on baseball, uh, myself on basketball, uh, Will McDonough on football, and Francis Rose on hockey, and each of the four made it into the writers' wings of their respective sports halls of fame. And I don't think any other paper had ever could ever make that statement. And we know no one will ever make it again. And you actually, I, I read online that you started at the Globe on the same day as Peter Gammons. Peter Gammons yeah. what, are, what are the odds of that? Yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? And, uh, we were lucky. We just walked in as summer interns, and, and there was a third guy named David Martin that we don't know what happened to him, except he went to Yale. He probably <laughs> could buy and sell both of us. But um, uh, Peter and I started the same day, hit it off immediately. He was a Carolina guy. I was a BC guy. We both loved basketball. Uh, I found out very quickly how much he loved baseball, which yeah. I did too. We're both fellow preppies. That was another little, you know, joking bond. And um, uh, we hit it off perfectly, and, and it was a friendship that, that was really, really strong. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we, uh, we eventually went our different ways. He went eventually back to Sports Illustrated in 86 and then on to television at ESPN, and, and I stayed at the Globe. But, um, you know, we're, we're still close. We're still very good friends. That's great. And, and like I said, it was just something we looked at, and it was like, wow, they both started on the exact same day. At the Globe. It's just funny to see where you guys both, you know, ended up in your careers and where you are now. But uh, actually, another question, you know, most of us younger generation people, 
don't know as much about print as they do about television. I've seen you on Around the Horn on ESPN, sure. etc. What were the main differences that you noticed as the industry generally moved more towards television? Uh, differences that the athletes became uh, got to only associate people or, or value or, or, or uh, have interest in or respect for uh, people in television more and more as opposed to print. So, um, being in ODSPN since 1989 in a regular capacity helped my writing career in the 90s and in the 2000s in that it gave it gave more instant access. I'll give you an example. Uh, two years into this, 1991, um, <clears throat> two years into being on the Sports Reporters, which started in the fall of 89 for me, uh, I was covering the American League Championship Series between Toronto and Minnesota in 1991, and I was walking between the uh, clubhouse and the field on an off day in, in Toronto when a player stopped me and introduced himself and said, hi, I'm Gene Larkin of the Twins. I watch you on TV. I just wanted to say hello. Well, that was Man Bites Dog right there. That's the first time that ever happened, that a player introduced himself to me based on my visibility, and I was stunned at that point. I really, Even two years in, it had never happened, but it happened. And as time went on, uh, it happened with more increasing frequency as you got used to the idea that this was a generation that watched TV and didn't and 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 took great stock particularly in the SBN and uh, that wasn't not so I could walk into clubhouses or locker rooms with a better chance of instant um, I won't even say credibility but just accessibility uh, that's how I helped my writing uh, career in terms of just interviewing people so they worked hand in hand for me uh, that's the big difference I mean I, I still will tell you as I always was, I look in the mirror and I see a writer. I'm a writer who moonlights on television. There's never been any, uh, any confusion on that matter from my point of view, but I'm totally well aware that 99.9% .9 of anybody under 40 who knows of me uh, outside of Boston knows of me because of being on television, not because of anything I've ever written. We're here with Bob Bryan of the Boston Globe. Just a few more questions for you. The, the reviews I've read for your new book, Scribe, mention your father's influence growing up. What was your relationship with your father like? Well, he died when I was 11, so it was uh, a youthful uh, worship. Uh, my father was involved in various capacities in my in locally in Trenton, New Jersey, where I grew up, in terms of marketing and public relations and PR and promoting and organizing and all that. Um, he worked in both professional baseball and in uh, college sports. He was assistant athletic director at Villanova for two years when I was young. And uh, I never remember a time in my life ever, and it's literal now. I mean, if you figure your first remembrance, in my case, I'd say it's four. Uh, never a time when the focal point of our life 12 months a year wasn't going to a game, whether it was a baseball game, football game, or basketball game. And uh, But it was a high school game, college game, a professional game. That's what we did. That's what my family did. I had my family consisting of my mother, father, and me. I was an only child. So I had an enormous influence on injected this DNA into me that put a sports uh, interest in you know, me that I was able to take advantage of and nurture and, and develop uh, thanks to an unending succession of good breaks. And I found the book, my father got zero good breaks, and I have gotten many good breaks, and that's just a life story that uh, you know, for any family, that uh, that's the way things go sometimes. And, and I wanted to, this is my first real opportunity ever to get into this whole story about my father. And, and, and actually, in, in writing the book, I actually researched and found out some stuff I didn't even know, which was very gratifying about him. That, but I hardly exaggerate his scope of his celebrity in Trenton. Uh, he was big, and um, and it was a you know. So I, obviously, I'm I'm this kid 
uh, doing all the stuff with my father. So naturally, I loved my father and, and was, and, and was, uh, you know, he was my idol. And, and, uh, but he died when I was 11, and that's how I would pull out from under you pretty strong, let me tell you. Here with Bob Ryan from the Boston Globe, just a couple more questions. Uh, what, since we are here to talk about your book, and I've, I've seen your, you know, a couple interviews you've done, and you talked about the section, you know, Michael versus LeBron, you know, yes. better. Can you, can you say a little bit about that, and then overall, what you really want readers to get from your book as a whole? The Michael versus LeBron, I threw in there because I, um, you know, I got a reputation as a basketball guy, and I think it's a fascinating study. Each of them arrived at the same place, and, uh, namely at the top of their profession as the greatest individual practitioner of the art at the time in which they played. Uh, no one's going to argue that Michael was the best player of his time, and, and now I think people are coming to a, agreement that it, LeBron's the best player of his time. We don't include centers here, a whole other discussion. Anyway, um, I find it fascinating because of two things. One is that their personalities are vastly different. And in my opinion, Michael didn't learn how to win until he learned how to share. And then, and LeBron didn't win ultimately until uh, he learned to take on the responsibility of being the best player on the court, which he did shied away from in uh, the finals against uh, Dallas. But he came back and, and proved himself twice over the last two years. Also, the way they were developed, Michael comes from a different time and place uh, he was only known inside the state of North Carolina. He did not travel the AAU circuit. There was none. Uh, he was, it was a very different world. LeBron was known to all of us at age 14 and, and traveled the world, the country, uh, throughout his adolescence. And, and just the whole exposure that he had experienced is vastly different. But they both arrived at the same place. Now, and ultimately comparing them, uh, I kind of cheat. And um, I have my cake and eat it, too. And you're going to have to buy the book to find out what that means. <laughs> Only kidding. Uh, I said that, look, Michael's the greatest, most ruthless competitor uh, ever. And so that means more than LeBron. So, yeah, he was, as they say, cut your heart out and uh, serve it back to you with a nice side uh, bottle of Chianti. Uh, LeBron's not like that and never will be like that. Um, and um, I'd rather watch LeBron, but if, if i got to have a guy to win a game, I suppose I grudgingly have to take Michael. I completely gotcha and it, you know one of those famous quotes from michael always was too he, he would say you know I, I never lost a game in my career because I, I i never <clears> lost a game i just ran out of time so that com yeah that completely goes along with what you just said too yeah that's that that's michael and look at michael he's competitive to this moment last week he's just in the president's golf game he has to have the last oh he has to have the last word to say um, now he's saying that if he wins the championship in Charlotte as an owner, it'll be more important than as a player. Don't buy that. Don't. <laughs> but he has, don't buy that. Okay, that's nonsense. But but it's it gives him a further day in the spotlight. I mean, he can't. That's who he is. Yeah. And that's that's fine. It's weird. I think Michael's comfortable in his own skin. I think LeBron's comfortable in his own skin. Mm -hmm. They are very different people. Bob Ryan, thank you so much for your time. His book, Scribe, is in stores now and is available. Again, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Okay, guys. Nice to talk to you.